0: The Mandalorian is the first ever Star Wars TV show. But did this series do or did it not do? As we all know, there is no try. I'm Mike. And that was Forced. And this is Popscorn. The pop stormy found entertainment movie review and tv review podcast and today we are finally finally talking about the mandalorian available now on disney plus not sponsored we're not sponsored i've not bought disney plus i don't intend to buy disney plus until the falcon of the winter soldier come out and even then i want my free weeks trial i'm still mike and i'm still Darren. i have bought disney plus and this is why we're
1: bringing you this episode yep how is it how's the service uh pretty good um it's kind of like a well okay, we might as well get Disney Plus over with to begin with. I've watched only a few of their kind of original things. I of course dive straight into the world according to Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That was the first thing I watched. Um, which is it depends on your tolerance of Jeff Goldblum hipsterish hipstery-ishness mm. and your level of tolerance for Jeff Goldblum quirk. Uh, I of course have a very high tolerance for Jeff Goldblum quirks, so I loved it. But I could see how it would get very, very annoying very quickly if you just weren't into his kind of it's Jeff Goldblum at maximum level here, right. at all times. So if you, if you're at, if you're, that's not really a deal, you may not get a lot out of it. But it's fine. It's a bit random in its it's a bit scattershot in its subjects. Like he's doing sneakers, and then he's doing perfume, and then he's doing uh, bikes. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's very strange, but I enjoyed it. Um, What else have we watched? Rachel, my girlfriend, started watching Encore, which is a Kirsten Bell-fronted series where they get um, people who had been in, like, high school um, shows and kind of get them back together to do it again. So they had, like, a a high school who'd done Annie, and they got them back as adults to do it again. That was not for me, but I'm sure there's an audience out there for that um well i've started we've started playing through the simpsons uh we watched all of the it's just nice to have it there to watch all of the mcu movies whenever you want so we've watched all of them during lockdown um but that's about it it's got a very good library of of disney films so if you just want to watch old stuff it's great i think obviously with all new um properties having original series is kind of its problem at the moment they've got some stuff so they've got um they've got the Imagineering story, which is kind of the story of Disney theme parks, which is a documentary. Series. I like watching that. I find that quite interesting. Um, there's, uh, similar ones on like a day, uh, um, or there's one day at Disney where they go to like all the different departments of Disney. So the filmmaking, the theme park, um, uh, the cruise ships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of show you everyone doing their work. It's basically a Disney PR machine at the moment. Um, But you are right. Once it gets those original shows going, because, I mean, it's got licenses for days. Um, So once it gets uh, more Mandalorian series, the LB One series, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, all the Marvel shows that are coming, and kind of find its foot in that way, I think it will be better. I have paid in advance for the whole year. I don't know if I'm going to be subscribing month to month once that expires. So I think we would have watched all the movies we want and then it will be a case of we wait until all episodes of, you know, an MCU movie, uh, MCU series are released. We get it for a month, play it everything you want to watch and then cast it aside.
0: Yeah, it's, the thing is, on paper, Disney Plus seems like not a Netflix killer, but at least one of the better competitors in that space mm-hmm. purely because of the level of franchising that it's got. What it lacks, though, is... Netflix was already a massive hub of entertainment and then it excelled its original series. Yes. And I don't, I don't know whether Disney are going to excel at every series they do. And I think that might be the decider as to whether or not this streaming platform stays around. I mean, the MCU was stuck around um, yeah. even in current times, people are still looking forward to black widow. And I think star Wars is a little bit on shaky ground at the moment after Three disappointing films in a row If you're looking at the popular consensus On them Mm -hmm. but I think there's One thing that Star Wars Fans can actually rally behind and one Thing we can all agree on and I'm hoping Darren You'll agree with me here Uh, The Mandalorian Is one of the better Star Wars Things to come out of the past couple of years in fact I Would say it's on par with um, Rogue One and Episode Seven I really enjoyed This series
1: and I concur isn't that nice
0: thank um, christ for that yeah if this is a
1: if this is the kind of standard for their big original shows the high budget ones i'm feeling pretty good at the moment i've got i've got some faith in them um, oh yeah i um, my god does disney plus need that because it is largely for children uh that's still kind of achilles heel netflix is much more for me in in terms of their back catalogue because i i don't feel i need to watch boy meets world uh, but it's
0: there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that. That is the thing, though, isn't it? There's Netflix's original programming does appeal more to adults, as does Amazon's. Um, so I guess that kind of was an untapped market.
1: Yeah. So I I, I get it. I, I and thank God it's come along as it has because I imagine it's been a saving grace for a lot of people. Uh, but uh, there, there. So they've one and only kind of slightly more mature series. Thank God it was. I just real quick. So I meant to mention this at the start they're redoing that so raven and they're not redoing it but they're like doing a new series of it and it's raven grown up i never watched that so raven right. but it's called raven's home and i'm like why in god's name is not called raven's nest it was right there it's about <laughs> her and her kids what the fuck are you doing yeah. um <laughs> that, that's that's weighing me up on a daily basis ever since i saw it but uh <laughs> back to the mandalorian uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, thank god. god it worked because it's yeah. really the only strong thing you can hang your hat on and say, look, even if you just get it for that week's trial, do that so you can watch the Mandalorian in one sitting because I mean it's 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 weird. It's not what I expect it to be, I think is the headline. Really? I it's yeah, I, I but I appreciate it for that because I thought they were gonna go with just tried and true Star Wars territory. And do one big storyline through all eight episodes. Um, you know, go to some new planets, but largely keep to to what they know. It's a lot more like a Western TV show than I really expected it to.
0: It is bringing it back to Star Wars is a space Western. Mm-hmm. And I love it for doing that. And I think the, the episodic nature of the series actually really helps it separate its week-to-week plots better. From the overarching plot? Because the overarching plot, this will come as a surprise to nobody who was logged onto the internet between now and Christ. When did this first come out? When did this first launch in America? Let's have a look. Uh, October? Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, November. November 12th and now. um, It is the tale of a Mandalorian bounty hunter who happens upon a certain race of alien, a certain child of that species and his protection of that ch- child rather than turning it in for profit. Yeah. And
1: that's what it was kind of unexpected. I thought, okay, they're, they're just going to do, because I thought this was, we want to do a Boba Fett TV series, but he's dead. So we're just going to have this guy and and he, it, it's just Boba Fett in all but name basically. And it's going to be him doing cool bounty hunt stuff. It's really not that. It is more It is more nuanced than that. It's more reserved than that in a lot of ways. It's um, far
0: more interesting than Boba Fett ever was. I yeah. think. I think you get that initial sense that you are just dealing with the hired gun in the first half hour of the episode. And then those final 15 minutes happen. And that goes, right, now this is what we're doing. We're going with the the bounty hunter with the heart, I guess mm-hmm. his sense of empathy is greater than his sense of wealth. And I, I really love that that happened in episode one. That was the, that was the head turn. It's like, right. Okay. How does this change this character's life? It's, it's, it's strange. So the Mandalorian himself,
1: yes, much more interesting than Boba Fett. Cause he says more than six lines. Um, True. still not as good as Django. Cause my God, do I love Django? Um, it's, yeah, Django it Django did is, have
0: more than five lines in the trilogy, but one is, of them was "Ah," so you know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, so
1: it, the Mandalorian character itself is, is a strange one because, like, all main characters should be avatars and and be largely blank slates to draw upon your own emotions, but it they've taken that concept and just taken it like six foot deeper of like right, okay. He's gonna be the blank is the blank f- slates. You're not gonna see his face. He doesn't really have like he doesn't verbalise his emotions, basically. It's all inferred through body language, small tilts of the head, and his actions more so than verbiage. And it it kind of it I could see it turning off some people of just finding him not no okay, yeah, a bit boring that he's not some cool, badass gunslinger saying cool one-liners and all this stuff. There's a lot more mystery there. But I think that kind of helped. It helped flesh oh, out yeah, the that other characters. yeah, absolutely helps. Yeah, it helps you flesh out the other characters and care more about them because they can articulate, they can be more nuanced. And and it, it just builds that mystery of like, well, who is this guy? Why does he care? Why is he doing these things? And that is kind of, that can pull you through some of the slower moments of the story
0: absolutely uh, if we're talking about like the nuance of a character i think you really have to praise pedro pascal for doing a role where he has to wear a helmet the entire time because mm-hmm. i mean i've seen pedro pascal in a bunch of other stuff i know most people know him as the red viper yeah but you know i'm going to assume in that role he got to do more than just stand stoically and communicate through gentle nods of the head or movements of his hands he could not
1: be more different as the Red Vibe. He's like, <laughs> basically, it's like I know it's a wrestling reference. It's like if Eddie Guerrero was in Game of Thrones. He's just Latino heat. He's just angry and just his emotion. Just he's the most emotional person probably in that entire series. He just there's no mystery. He's just telling you. He's just straight up you say like the second he meets um, Tywin Lannister, he's like. I don't like you and I intend to kill you at some point, but I can't at the moment because you're kind of the king. So, ah, well, um, but I will get you. Don't worry about that. So, yeah,
0: could not be more different than the Red Viper. Fair enough. That that to me is the sign of a better performance. And I think the fact that you are able to, I don't think blank slate. I, I think that you, you do feel a level of empathy with somebody who has spent his entire life either collecting people or killing people to then upturn that episode one and go the game has changed for this character you're finding out the way that he's going to respond at the same rate that you're finding out the way he would normally go about his business Mm -hmm. and and you see that more in every you know because every episode's got a big action set piece which is real fucking cool but they do feel much smaller scale than the sort of apocalypse, especially compared to episode nine where like the grandeur of that final um space battle on the sith homeworld kind of feels a bit hollow and empty you put it against the mandalorian trying to scale a sand crawler and so you're like fuck i hope he gets up like for some reason you're so much more invested i think because you're on that journey of discovery with the mandalorian you don't know everything about him but you're actually finding out the information that the series is conveying to you at the exact same time. There's no cloak and dagger. It is very much a straightforward plot. It's going
1: to be interesting to see how they keep it up in the subsequent series because they. It's going to need at some point an acceleration of finding out more about him and him having more dialogue and more stuff like that because I don't think this characterization has it's very interesting, but I don't necessarily think it has longevity without some changes as he's going to have to lay his guard down. We're going to have to learn more about him. And as long as they keep that kind of slow trickle of information coming, I think it will be fine. I think there's potential here for like it to get a bit like, uh, okay, we need a bit more now than the, the kind of fragments we have for this to be a long-term character short term. I don't think it has any problems. I just, but I know, I mean, they've already greenlit season three, for God's sake. So they know they're going to be carrying this on for a while. I—it's my only slight worry at the moment going forward. I think everything else was good signs for this series. I just think that they're going to have to—they're going to have to find a very nice balance between still having some level of mystery and still having him be a kind of—you know—it's it, not always clear what he's going to do in any given situation. But you're going to have to learn more about him as a character if he's going to be your main character going forward,
0: yeah, you're right, and I'm worried that that third season green light has been done off the back of the success of the character of the child and not necessarily the success of the series as a whole, because mm-hmm. I do think I do think the series is greater than the sum of its parts, but we can't ignore how much of a role the child plays in that mm-hmm.
1: Definitely, yeah. They, I hope it wasn't a marketing decision of like, my god, the money we can make off this. And was no, we know. Hopefully, they planned ahead and said, right, in an ideal situation, like with like with um the Star Wars films, George Lucas went right. If I make New Hope, I can make those one complete film, it's out there. If it doesn't do very well, at least I've tried, it's a complete story. Fantastic. If that works, we can then make two more, make a trilogy. If that works. We can go on and on and on and on and on. Hopefully they sat down and said, right, we'll write season one. We'll leave it open-ended so it does have some stuff to go on. But it's a it's a relatively rounded out story in the first season. But we have plans for five seasons already, at, at least at like a draft level of like, here's a rough idea of where we're going. And then we'll just kind of make it up as we go along in terms of, right, everyone likes season one, we can you know, definitely do season two and so on. I don't want it just to be green in perpetuity and they have no plans. Cause that's not, that's not going to work. Like even the plot of this series as basic as it is, is not going to work as the template for season two. You can't do the same thing again. You're going to have to find something new to do with what is essentially, uh, uh, you know, the Mandalorian who doesn't say a lot and the child who says nothing. You're going to have to find new ways of kind of, uh, of molding that. So it, does feel fresh and does feel new, like this season does, but also stays true to this season. It's very hard to articulate what I'm trying to say here, but I'm saying it's... This season as a a whole, fantastic. I worry about its longevity without major changes.
0: I get what you mean. And I think because... Because what I was talking about earlier with the episodic nature of, because it's a TV series, means that it can just transplant its two main characters and put them in different stories. Yeah, what this it does do that, especially in the middle. But either side, there are like trot-on episodes of like two or three a piece that are dealing with the same group of characters. But those stories get resolved. Those stories are resolved by the end of this series. Not to spoil too much of. They complete a storyline, but they complete a storyline. And they are very interesting stories, and they've put some really great characters in here. We're now going to need... We can't just bring those guys back as much as I'd like to see more of them. They're they're done. We need Mm -hmm. to put the Mandalorian and the child into situations that are going to challenge them again. Now that there is a new normal of these two travelling through the universe together, there needs to be more to it than... What's going to be trying to kidnap the child this week, and I think that's going to be a massive challenge for season two. But based on this season, I have really good faith.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's more of like a, it's it's not a very founded worry I have. Like, if we just take them on the merits of this season, everything's going to be fine. It's just it's just that nagging voice at the back of my head of like this can't go on forever. They've got to they're gonna have to change things up and they're gonna be very smart about what that change is so it doesn't lose some of the charm of this season but does keep things in a you know moving forward i don't want it to get stuck in a rut like game of thrones did where it feels like we just we know what people like so we're going to give them more than that but it then just comes at the cost of any forward momentum towards a conclusion and it feels like my god we're going to be stuck in the same loop of them going to a planet getting into a bit of a a situation, some hijinks happen, and then they get out at the end, and nothing's really, nothing really impactful has happened to our two main characters. That's my only worry. We'll get out of this deep media wankery about forward planning for series <laughs> and uh move on. So Pedro Pascal, they really didn't need to get Pedro Pascal. They could no. have got me to play the Mandalorian for the most part and just having dubbing lines. Um, but I, I'm glad they went out. So that the, the it, it's it's such a weird. You look at that cast on paper. It's such a weird choice, people, for the it most part. Is. But my God, does it work. So you think uh, we we need somebody... Now, I, I admitted when we kind of previewed the year, I thought Carl Weathers was dead. I <laughs> genuinely. Yes.
0: This isn't was... like a one-time thing. You do keep thinking Carl Weathers is dead.
1: No, I don't know if I have like a weird Mandela syndrome situation after Rocky Four, where I just perpetually <laughs> think <that> Carl Weathers is <laughs> dead. <laughs> I don't know. But because this thing... Have you seen Carl Weathers in anything past Happy Gilmore? Not really, no. So, like, he just disappeared. So I thought, right, either he's retired or he's dead. I'm glad he's neither because he returns this to play Grief Cargo, who's, like, the head of the, the bounty hunter guild that the Mandalorian is a part of. Yeah. I think he does a pretty good job of being, like, he's he feels that Lando sleazy, but easy, but he could be, role pretty well.
0: Yeah, they do actually do some interesting stuff with him in the later episodes where they kind of undo the 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 villain side of that character because you're not supposed to, like, really like anyone outside of the Mandalorian and then later on when he gets his little band together you start to see allies forming. It's supposed to be kind of like a morally questionable cast of characters. And Greed Karger is that first port of call in that first episode. It's like, right, this guy has got some stuff going on. Obviously, he's the leader of a bounty hunter's guild. His entire life is made in blood money. So, what can we do with him? And I think they do a really good job with him towards towards the end, especially. I think it's the final two or three episodes where much like what happens to the Mandalorian in the first episode, the f- script is flipped on him in a good mm. way, not in a Ryan Johnson way. Yeah, I think,
1: you know, Lando might be a wrong comparison. He's more like Han Solo from New Hope in that he's not like so he starts off as kind of being a bit of an antagonist a minor antagonist in the first few seasons but that kind of changes near the end but he's not changing through a change of heart or necessarily gaining better morals it's circumstantial he the situation has changed and therefore he's more you know open to helping the mandalorian whereas previously he wasn't so yeah. i like that you need that type of that type of grey area character works very well in star wars canon and in star wars history You kind of need that, especially in Western. There's always people like that where they're not good. They're not inherently good or inherently bad. They are changeable. And that keeps you guessing, which, again, this type of show kind of benefits from really well. And there's quite a lot of characters like that where you're like, I I don't know whether to trust them. It helps with the tension of kind of trying to second guess, like all good Westerns do, who's going to turn heel.
0: Yeah, that is a very much a consistent part of this series, isn't it? Is that who will turn on who? Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I think it actually, it's quite a hopeful ending to the series as to who turns and who doesn't yeah. and what things come out of it. And Grief's story is not exactly the longest. It is very much a two-beat story, but it's mm-hmm. very good. And I appreciate that Carl Weathers isn't dead. So that's nice. Nice.
1: Um, so they went, right, so we'll have Pedro Pascal will have... Carl Weathers who hasn't been there since 1992 Who else do we want for this The Star Wars TV show Who do we want I know Gina Carano the MMA lady (laughs) Who's only been in Well okay she was in Haywire I think that's the action movie she was in Before she was in Deadpool Yeah, And that's
0: that Gina Carano does
1: really well as well
0: She's really fucking good Watching Gina Carano as Cara June In this series makes me really fucking sad She's not Wonder Woman
1: yeah right she like i, I mean gal gadot be better than anyone could have expected but like to combine both like still feminine beauty but also my god i don't want to
0: be punched in the face by that woman
1: yeah you <laughs> <It's Gina Carana. laughs>
0: <laughs> really is a woman that is both that is uh Arousing and terrifying all at once. If we're I go into pick corner, yeah, I think if they were to do if if Wonder Woman hadn't happened and this
1: had come out and everyone was being very um, positive about her role, I think she'd be an absolute goddamn shoe in.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. If Wonder Woman hadn't have hadn't been made and then this came before yes. it, that's Wonder Woman. But if as they as are as
1: rebooting as the DC universe, if the Batman does really well with um with what's his face, uh, my God, what's his name, Robert Pattinson. Um, with Robin Patton at the front and they go, ah, screw it. Well, this will just be the jumping off point. Then that could be how Gina Carano gets in the role. Good God, that would be so good. I know, I know. But no, she just, she plays Cara Duna. I think she, um, she's uh, an ex-stormtrooper, which is again kind of playing into that. No, she's an ex-rebel. I thought she was a shock trooper for the Empire. Yeah, but rebels have shock troopers as well. Do they? Yeah. Oh, I watched that entire series thinking she was
0: ex-Empire. No, she's ex- ex-Rebellion. Oh. That's there you go. Corrected.
1: Well, there we go. Anyway, you're still not sure about her because, she, you know, we find her in like a bit of a sleazy bar and she's a bit morally great. Not as much as Carl Weaver's character. There's clearly some good there. But still, she's, she's in it for the money. She's not necessarily in it for the... She even explicitly says, I'm only doing this to make money. Up until again the end, where she has a bit more of a solidifying of her good intentions, but yeah, she she adds. Um, I think she's the best running buddy of the Mandalorian. He has like a quite a few people he meets in the episode, but whenever it's them two, I think it's probably the best of the series.
0: Yeah, they they, they share a really good episode when when the when the series finally isn't taking place it's on on desert planets. There is one on kind of like a foresty swampy style planet. And that episode's really fucking good, Uh, which is weirdly the one that's directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, which, you know, bolt from the blue there. And um, that kind of sets up what that character's going to be, somebody who's only in that line of work. Funnily enough, like you said about Grieve Carga, it's circumstantial. She doesn't enjoy bounty, and she doesn't enjoy being a hired gun. She does it for the money. She does it to keep herself alive in, you know, the aftermath of the galactic civil war which is you know kind of a big deal because this is set between uh six and seven mm-hmm. into in terms of its placement so the fact that you've got a character like kara june who would have been rebel alliance into new republic would have been that kind of person that then left i feel like that adds a lot of flavor to that that world now we it's not just people who were ex-stormtroopers running from justice i guess it's people who are actually kind of tired of the way things have been done
1: yeah exactly it's well it's the thing you never get to see because jedi presents the defeat of the empire as being a very like cut and dry good triumph over evil this and kind of episode seven to, to an extent is showing like well it's it's not that simple you don't just it's not like a case of you cut off the head and the body will die. You don't just kill the Emperor and Darth Vader and then the Empire's gone. And it's, that's, that's one state for the Empire because as we see in this episode, they don't just go away. Remnants of them carry on. But it's how everyone kind of adjusts then to a post-war lifestyle of like, well, now you haven't got your cause to fight for and everything isn't black and white. What you know? What becomes of the broken-hearted? <laughs> Who had yeah, love? pretty much. But that's that's now departed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Don't sake, know where that came from. Sorry. That, that was a, a real shocker, there, Darren. I'm sorry. I was just thinking of like it's so it's a weird coincidence that Bryce Dallas Howard directed the episode called Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Um, but Bryce Dallas Howard is currently annoying my girlfriend downstairs, who's playing the Jurassic Park DLC called Claire's Sanctuary, starring Bryce Dallas Howard. Isn't coincidence strange? Um, It's a terrible DLC, don't get it If you've got the Jurassic Park Evolution game Don't get Close Sanctuary, just avoid that business.
0: I do have that game, but I haven't started it yet Oh Michael, it's the best
1: <laughs> Play it. it's just the, It's the best game for lockdown Because you can just just
0: meticulously Plan your fences and oh, it's the best I'll tell you why I'm looking forward to playing it Because it's just off the back of me Playing um, Two Point Hospital Which is like the mm. theme hospital reboot So I'm in oh, that yeah. state of mind
1: oh it's brilliant oh it's it is a very good game just it's lepenna can fuck off that's all you need to know <laughs> anyway back to the po- god i'm very distractible today sorry um so the rest of the ca- the, t- the rest of the cast is kind of
0: they're the three main people you meet um well, the again, remnants is one more go on um well in in addition to we got the red viper we got carl weathers who isn't dead and we got gina carano the mma woman who else can we get I know, it's regular crazy man Nick Nolte.
1: I didn't even realise it was Nick Nolte until I looked at this cast list. Uh, yeah, he plays Quill. That's how you that, isn't it? Quill? Quill? Someone like that? Quill, that'll do. Um, but he doesn't play him physically. Um, I'm guessing that's someone else playing him.
0: Um, according to Wikipedia, it was motion captured by somebody called Misty Roses. Uh, but right. in terms of the voice, that's Nick Nolte.
1: Right. Um, he is a, uh, what is his species? I don't, uh, it's one you've like come across in Star Wars before, but I don't think like, it's not one of it's not like Wookiees where you know who they are.
0: It's an Ugnaut, I think.
1: Ah, right. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, he's a little dude. He lives on a desert planet. Um, and he's kind of just, so he was an ex empire slave.
0: Um, yeah. But now he's a moisture farmer, which is like the big sort of, caught new hope call back in that second yeah. episode my god does he just want
1: to be left alone with his weirds like, what do you even call them things that he rides around
0: on oh fuck they do have a name but i forgot what it is fleshy oh, pac Men with legs <laughs> yeah that's so weird They're just uh, i'm gonna god. find the name whilst you talk about it
1: uh yeah he's he's a nice in that he's like like to get the fall out of the big wall He's someone who saw the horrors of war and now just wants nothing to do with it. Like, he wants to be helpful and he wants to put good into the world, but he just wants to be left the hell alone and he only helps the Mandalorian because he thinks the Mandalorian's going to clear out the bandit camp nearby, which he does in spectacular goddamn fashion. Oh, Um, And he's eventually joined um, by IG-11. Let's talk IG-11. Okay. Because not only did this redeem... Mandalorians because yeah everyone likes Boba and Django, but they both die pretty Quickly and are both pretty inept So it, re- it kind of Redeems the Mandalorian it also Makes IG units cool
0: Yeah like the last time I remember having this level of emotion For an IG unit it was the I-G-A-G-A, uh, IG-88 Boss fight in one of the Dark Forces Games oh yeah That was solid fucking hard Like I only felt hatred for ig 88 <laughs>
1: It is a bit disappointing he's not playing the actual IG-88, but I guess he was dismantled in the Death Star and blown up.
0: I think they wanted to make a succinctly different character in IG-11. Mm-hmm. And I think they definitely achieved that. They do that in a really weird way, but they definitely achieve it. Like, when they got Taika Waititi, I was expecting something different.
1: I was expecting Korg in robot form, to be honest. But that's not what we get at all. He's He's more like... Like, it, it's weird that richard iowadi turned up in a different part of the mandalorian because that's what ig11 imagine if richard iowadi was an assassin yeah pretty much it like is that, a neurotic a neurotic assassin turns up and like cuz i think you never really see ig ig88 do anything in the film because he's literally in the bounty hunter lineup in the empire and then he's dismantled. It's not in dev so I think Claire T, of course it is. You just see him in a box. So you don't really get to see what he can do. My God, can they do a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. I think I was in the same camp as you. Like When Taika Waititi was brought in, what I was expecting was basically the live-action equivalents of um, Homer Simpson's movie pitch um, with, and his best friend is a talking pie. I thought we were going to that level of comedy. Uh-huh. What we got was fucking cool like he's so the character in terms of his like the physicality his action style and even his dialogue he's really fucking precise and very Mm -hmm. literal and yeah that's played for laughs sometimes but it's actually it's so different to what you see everybody else in these shades of gray and then you've got the robot who's just yes this is what i do i'm going to shoot these people now and i think that like was it just some of these things look like it was stop motion? I don't think it was. It was very fluid. I could see why you think it could be a proper, like an like actual prop.
1: A modern day interpretation of what stop motion would look like. It's very yeah mechanical. It's clearly not a dude in a suit. It's a prop. But yeah, so because he's a droid, obviously he can shoot at crazy angles and just be pinging off stuff constantly. And they put him in a scenario. This is the good thing. It finds good scenarios for its characters to be in and look cool. So obviously the Mandalorian can be has that several times. But you think, well, it's a droid that can literally shoot rain corners and can just crazy do calculations of the fire while shooting people. Where do you want him? You want him in a standoff. You want him in a, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, you want him in an Alamo situation where they're ridiculously outgunned. And he has to, you know, they just, the Mandalorian just sends him out there to go and take out as many people as possible. And it's just so cool. He does get another scene that we'll talk about after spoilers in the last episode. Oh my God, that's cool. Yeah, it's good.
0: Oh, those weird two-legged um, fucking... Lishy Pac-Men. Yeah, they're called Blurgs.
1: Of course they're called Blurgs.
0: Uh, that's that's uh, fun.
1: Cool. Uh, is there any of it? Okay, so y- y- the remnants of the... Uh, the Empire. Uh, you've got. He's only referred to as the client. Uh, he's played by Ber- Werner Herzog, who unfortunately yeah. has been brewing for me. I know he's done like directing stuff, and he's a very acclaimed actor. I just know him as the person who sells April and Andy the
0: haunted house in Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird that my biggest frame of reference for this guy was he voices. Um, I think he voices like a. It's like a satanic priest in Metalocalypse. And he's like a really serious German director, and he's just done nothing but like pop culture and comedy since he got big in the uh, in in America. It's fucking weird. It makes no sense.
1: Uh, so yeah, this I couldn't take him seriously, unfortunately, because I just remember in Parks and Records, he's like, what, they ask him why he's selling, he's like, "I want to be closer to Disneyland." Uh, <laughs> so I knew that's all I could hear. So unfortunately, that he wasn't canon? Uh, apparently, that's canon. Um, so I can't see i I find it such a struggle to take him seriously but he's the one who wants the child for nefarious reasons um and he's like your entry level oh no the empire is still here they've got some shitty stormtroopers, and that's about it it's not until like the last episode last two episodes where the real bad part of the remnants of the empire turns up and that's when it's it's quite a short bit of the series overall in terms of its impact but it makes for a very good final two episodes.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think that's what I liked about the series the most, outside of the obvious things, was the Empire are beaten to fuck. Like they're mm-hmm. hiding in a hut in um what's the planet the wrongs? it's not it's not Tatooine, it's something else, isn't it? Uh, or it might actually have been Tatooine at the start no, of the series. No, no, no,
1: because no. he, he very much goes to um He goes to go. Oh, Episode A- mm-hmm. One of Navarro.
0: Navarro, that's it. Yeah, because then he goes to—is it, Tat- it Tatooine? He goes to. It's not. Yeah, is he it? goes to Tatooine in uh,
1: uh, Episode Five. He's where he goes to Mos Eisley.
0: Yes, you're right. You are right. Yep. So Navarro is where they're running the um, the bounty hunters guild from. And everyone is just really down on their luck there, especially the Empire. They have been beaten back. It is four really like beaten up, dusty-looking stormtroopers, and then Werner Herzog in an immaculate fucking outfit. It's Mm -hmm. so good. It's such a good vision of like what the Empire looked like after being beaten.
1: It's strange. I just realised it's kind of the duality of like two former empires, one to be better raised. You have. The empire but then you also kind of see that the mandalorian guild is not too hot either at the moment um this is something they're obviously driving towards they keep mentioning the siege of mandalore which they are driving towards in the clone wars um of like what the hell happened to the mandalorians now they've been driven underground there's not that many of them i like the dips into mandalorian culture you got of like for anyone who's not read wikipedia to the extent that we have of like kind of fleshing out because most of my knowledge of that comes from the bounty hunter game on ps2
0: yeah uh, and there's there's quite a lot of it in um clone wars and rebels as well but yeah that's it's it's something that like star wars fans know a lot about Mm. and this does a really good job of putting that not only for the fans that have been waiting for this to be you know the figurehead of a series but also for those who are just like, I want to watch the Star Wars show, and it's really digestible. They don't, they don't do a bad job of it. I think it's really good.
1: Yeah, they they found a way of kind of making it succinct and compact. Of you understand like the basics of it's, it's a, it's a, it's a creed, not a race. They are warrior like. They are, you know, everything cool about Boba Fett just given more substance. And, exp- and and kind of rooted in explanations of making it more real world of why he doesn't take the helmet off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Very oh, good job the, of condensing the, the that stuff all day. they do
0: with the helmets are so good. Where like when when you meet more Mandalorians, they've all got different visors on the helmets because the helmets are like their faces now. Oh, it's so fucking cool.
1: It is. It's my god. This is prep for a video game, right? Surely, surely. Like, Bounty Hunter was fine. It was all right um but my god could you do a better job of that now Um uh, hope i mean it's it's kind of coincidental that it's uh well this episode will release on star wars day and then two days later they're showing off the first xbox x stuff it's
0: yeah the same week
1: there might be some star wars stuff on there because yeah. it's not just battlefront that they're working on there must be other stuff
0: that's true although we the um the xbox series x gameplay reveal is is definitely going to be assassins creed
1: yeah oh yeah god damn like are you right he is i'm like right this is it now they're finally going to do feudal japan they've <laughs> run out of intellectual yeah. to do at least once and then i think should, i don't know about you michael but when i think stealth i think vikings
0: <laughs> yeah when i when i think stealth i think about uh painted up giant fucking norse people storming britain that's that's the height of stealth although <laughs> I do want to play it.
1: I mean, yeah, they kind of abandoned that anyway because, I mean, they were doing the Spartans in the last one, so it's not exactly like they were known for their espionage, but... Yeah, they really aren't. They're stretching the definition of assassin to absolute breaking point of doing it's, covert it's like vikings.
0: It's like they've remembered that they're making an Assassin's Creed game and just plonk the hidden blade on him. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, chuck, yeah,
1: chuck them at the end. That'll be fine. Everyone wants to play as vikings. Like, I think this actually, no, in retrospect, I know why they haven't done Feudal Japan this year because Ghost of is coming out and that's too...
0: Yeah, close to it but
1: you don't reboot that please god Ubisoft don't reboot that series and give yourself a chance to do feudal Japan and don't do ninjas versus samurais it writes it fucking self we need to start talking about the Mandalorian uh... <laughs> right I, okay, I think that's kind of it for the cast there's a few more we can mention after spoilers but
0: um, yeah we kind of have to go down the episodes and talk about the other characters because I really didn't want and I didn't want to talk about the child too much because if you're like in the really narrow majority of people who don't know what the child is Mm -hmm. i don't want to ruin anything else in the series for you because i watched it week to week so i wasn't spoiled um so i was very very happy with my experience for it but i imagine that for you darren you've had to sit through all the child memes and yeah uh, and then that emotional payoff at the start of that first episode is a little bit tarnished it
1: is but i will say that I know the insect kind of exploded over it, but they actually did a good job, at least in the circles I'd follow. That was the only thing I really had spoiled. I didn't have anything else um, spoiled for me up until I didn't know, I guessed the ending wrong. I thought we were going to get one thing and then something else happened. So good. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I realise you watched this back in November, so you may not have the most crystal clear recollection of all the episodes. But Because um, like I said, there's the first set of three that are largely set on the same world. Then you have three off-world adventures, and then you kind of come back to Navarro to kind of finish off for the last two. Um, I I like the series length, by the way. I think it, because obviously being big budget, they can't do 20 episode seasons and give you the same level of Star Wars you're expecting. So I was happy with the eight. Um, And I'm glad I watched them week to week. I actually think that helped um, some of the lesser episodes, Um, whereas they would have been completely forgotten if I binged through them in one day. I think it's yeah. kind of helped
0: them all stand alone um, I think there's really only one episode That I can point the finger at As bad But like you say, because we watched it week to week it, I was happy to watch it But like I'll, I'll very quickly talk about it Because I feel like there's not a lot to talk about in that episode That's of any good It's the one where he goes to Tatooine yeah. that, is, that is the worst one objectively Because I, it doesn't play into anything like, all no. these other episodes of these week-to-week threats at least carry a character forward or add some more lore about the Mandalorian or do something more about the child. And that fifth episode does not do anything of any interest outside of that episode.
1: No. It feels like this is the mandatory Bounty Hunter episode. We're going to get into kind of... If you're not up on how the Bounty Hunters kind of work, this is what they're typically doing day-to-day. Um, like I, I must admit when I saw, um, so they're sent the Mandalorian goes to, uh, eyes he goes to Tatooine, uh, hands over the baby to, um, some annoying mechanic lady who has the, uh, pit droids from episode one. Um, oh, I was radar. happy to see the pit droids. I mean, I was happy to see like in episode, the first bit of episode one, or at least very early in episode one, I was like, Oh my God, they're showing battle droids. Holy shit. I thought we didn't touch prequel stuff with a 10 foot barge pole, but here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, Pete joins the back, um, and basically he goes into a bar. He finds a kind of fledgling, aspiring bounty hunter um, called uh, Toro Calican.
0: Calican, I think, I think it's Calican.
1: Although, um, and he's out tracking like a very hard to get target called uh, Fenix Shand. Although, played yeah. by Melinda May from Agents of Shields. So I was like, oh, lad, you're fucked like that's the, <laughs> yeah that's the cavalry my god she's going to beat the shit out of you um <laughs> and, and that doesn't really happen it's yeah it's a very bread and butter it doesn't really feel like it's in keeping with what we were doing for the rest of the series because they kind of hand the child off and don't really mention it and yeah it's just yeah it's it's pretty sure it's not i don't think it was a bad episode necessarily it's a weaker episode
0: yeah, it's definitely a weak episode I think we could have had more about Fennec Shand I think we could have really made more of ming out of just like two scenes I mm-hmm. think that was a bit wasted And I get we were trying to see like You were on about it Well, you're going to be on about it in next week's episode uh, But you were talking about like dark reflections of stuff mm-hmm. um, And I think that the Toro Calican character is a dark reflection of a Han Solo type but it just doesn't land the way you want it to. No, not at all.
1: And like you're not. I begin because it's relatively short. I think they're about forty to fifty minutes each. Um, the episode length, so it doesn't feel like a, a colossal waste of time. And and maybe that's it's better that it's the weaker episode, but it's also the least impactful because if had you know something happened in this episode that you didn't, you know, people really didn't like, but it played into the ending more substantially. I think that would have actually been more of a hindrance. Because it is the weakest episode, but it's also very... It's the most standalone episode by a country mile. I think that actually ends up
0: helping it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the series as a whole, it works out so much better.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, great. So the first three episodes are kind of your your introduction to the status quo we're introduced to Remnants of the Empire, the Remnants of the Mandalorian Guild, the Bounty Hunter the Child. Uh, it's that first episode where you get that shootout at the kind of baddies camp that is... It isn't the highlight of the series, but it's a very strong contender to be there.
0: Uh, that is a strong opening as well. That is It tells you exactly the stakes and the level to which we're going to be following in this series. The, because the action feels a bit more intimate. There's not as many people as involved as you would have in like any of the prequel movies where everything was just on a grandiose scale for zero yep. reason. This feels personal every time you go into that 10 person firefight and it feels more intense because of it and obviously then you get the emotional payoff at the end of the first episode which sets up the rest of the series do you want to call spoilers so we can talk about that
1: Um you know yeah we're gonna have to start into some episodes so i think at this point well we both give it obviously a hearty recommendation if you can get the three weeks trial and watch it all in one go do so um i don't think we, i mean we've only said a few negative things so you must have known we have a positive uh review of it at this point
0: i mean anybody who listened to the end of year episode and see me rank it alongside chernobyl and the umbrella academy knows that i like this
1: mm-hmm. okay so at this point we will call spoiler alert so we can go a bit more uh into things so um sorry so what are you gonna say before we did that
0: baby fucking yoda
1: baby fucking yoda have you been on the internet in the last six months and you know who baby yoda is Oh, I, because I only knew, I knew baby Yoda's in this and that's it. I didn't know. a he's in the entire series. Yep. And I thought it'd get annoying. I'm like, so it, 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 it felt like a mad lib of like, they were writing the Mandalorian, like a serious bounty hunted one. And then someone just went, why don't we put a baby Yoda in there? Well, that be funny and quirky and cool. I didn't think I'd like it as much as I did.
0: I, uh, yeah. Um, I now am ashamed at how much I enjoyed Porgs in The Last Jedi because this is how you do a cute character that is story relevant Mm -hmm. and that you feel genuine peril for because holy fucking shit I can see why people got so caught up in the the baby Yoda wave as it were that that's so well realized like you, you take something that you know to be this like sage-like figure in the universe and you debilitate it literally by making it a baby. Yeah. And you know how rare these things are. This is the third one of this species you've seen yeah. in the entire fucking franchise. You're like, oh my Christ, okay, this is important. And that's felt straight away where you see the little hand outstretch and pull the... um what do you call it, like the, the, the cloth down from inside yeah. of the, the pea pod thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, it's so well designed. It's so well puppeted. It's such a good little That's creature. Ridiculous. Like,
1: this is a payoff of, like, 30-plus years of restraint on the part of Lucasfilm and George Lucas himself. Of, like, the Mandalorians are up there as, like, very mysterious. There's not a lot known about them. We don't really see their faces, etc. That is nothing compared to how they've held back on Yoda's species. Oh, yeah. Like, even in, like, so, so in canon, you know, even after the great purge they did after Disney brought them, you're right, this is only the third one Yoda, Yaddle, and now this. Um, but even in the extended canon, there's only been about five or six of these things. Like, one or two in video games, and then a few in the comic books. But that's it. We don't know the name of the species, we don't know the home planet. Um, we'll get to that in the last episode when we talk about that because I'm a bit worried about that but mm. this is a payoff of 30 years worth of restraint that just when you thought the Mandalorian was going to be the most mysterious thing then comes Baby Yoda and you're right yeah it's a fantastic puppeting job it's uh, uh, cynical Darren creeps up and go well they put that in there as like this is the best version of what an Ewok was meant to be Of <laughs> like this is what kids can clog on to this is what you know when Boyfriends are forcing girlfriends to watch these type of things. It's something for them to glom onto. I know I'm stereotyping horribly there, but you get what I mean. It, it kind of, it's them trying to make this, the four quadrant movie or four quadrant TV series. At this point, you've got cool action. You've got good storytelling. You've got cool visuals and you've got the baby Yoda. Um, so I keep referring to as the baby elder because I refer to my niece as the baby Marks. So it's <laughs> the two are now completely intertwined in my brain. Um, so I will be calling it the Baby Yoda from forward on. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it, an incredibly good balancing act there of, of making it cute and undeniably cuddly. And uh, you know for the second bears open, they are doing Baby Yoda at build bear And I guarantee fucking you I'm buying
0: have you Have you seen, lit, like, the floodgates opened on Baby Yoda merch in the past month? So yeah. there's the... There's the animatronic one that's like 90 pounds, and it do, and it and it like closes its eyes and its ears move. It it actually looks pretty good. Uh, and then you've got the builder bear stuff. They're doing cuddly toys. It was like the fact that none of this leaked. The fact that all of this was yeah. kept a secret up until that first episode aired. That is a fucking magic trick by this production. Just holy shit, they managed to keep. The biggest part, because, you know, the series is called The Mandalorian. You would think The Mandalorian is the biggest part, the biggest mystery, the biggest, you know, presence in that show. And then, psych, then you give him a baby and all of a sudden it's about the baby. (laughs) You've (laughs) made (laughs) him cable and it worked.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It's, and I, I know we have troubled opinions of George Lucas at the best of times, but that picture of him holding the baby Yoda was... It's very nice. John Favreau tweeted it, yeah, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's pretty magical." Yes. Anyway, so yep, yeah, so there's Baby Yoda talk for you, um, and then it just becomes a case of keeping him safe, keeping him out of the Empire. Well, that happens in kind of Episode Three. So we've got it, We've got the Baby Yoda, but now we've got to get him across the desert, which is largely what Episode Two, The Child, is about. Uh, which is where you get the sand crawler thing um, that you mentioned.
0: Oh, but you've um, got the. I think you might have the best scene of the entire series in that episode. Oh, uh, with
1: the, uh, the rhino thing.
0: Yeah, the, the, with the mud horn. And mm. you see the baby Yoda using the force to pull the fucking thing up. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's such a good scene.
1: Because you think it's just a baby. It's just going to be... But they, they, it kind of, as you the show goes on, they show that it's it's not like a human baby. I mean, it's been alive for 50 years. But still, there's. it just can't talk yet. But it's aware of what's going on. It's perceptive. It's not like a completely useless thing to drag along. And I think that's what kind of helps, is that you get a... It isn't just like a prop. It isn't an escort mission of a series. It has a character. It's just done completely non-verbally. And again, that's a testament to the writing and the
0: directing. Absolutely. And you get those scenes in... I think it's the second episode as well, about how aware... He is and you, you see him trying to Force heal the Mandalorian After he has the run in with the Jawas yeah. And I'm like wow Okay so, so You've done exactly that You've taken the original Yoda character And you've made it so he can't communicate He can only use the force for so long Without passing out because he's still so young But he's still a very Very strong presence and a very strong Character and has that Sense of what his Place in the universe is if that makes any sense?
1: It does. I as my girlfriend pointed out, there's like Do you think if like this carries on, it'll be the first Yoda to speak properly because it hasn't been it around its own species to figure out the backwards talking? I was
0: like, ah. That a is a thought, thought, isn't it? Ah.
1: Um yeah, so the so the, that that's largely the second episode. And I think the sandcrawler actually no, I'm gonna say what I was gonna say about the sandcrawler for something that happens in episode four. Um, so then we move into episode three, where he delivers the um, the baby to the Empire. He, he's kind of conflicted, but this is where he's still in bounty hunter mode at this point. He's yeah. out, he, he wants the money, he wants the best car steel, which is what they're giving him for the job, which is the the Mandalorian metal they make all the armor out of. Because he looks a bit shit to begin with.
0: Oh yeah, he's starting red armor's a bit fucking patchworky, isn't it?
1: janky as all hell i mean he's got a dope ass cape and i always appreciate yeah. a dope ass cape but he hasn't even got a jet pack he's got no chest armor so he needs this so it can be um formed into new armor for him but then i i, I, so I go back and forth what i think my favorite episode is i think episode three is a strong contender because it's basically him realizing what he's done in handing over the child to the empire and he's not He's took all he can stand and he's not going to stand anymore. And the kind of the jailbreak of the child is fucking
0: great. It's really fucking good. It's the it's the close quarters nature of that fight yeah. as well, because the stormtroopers have are fully goddamn loaded. And he's gone in with a pistol.
1: Yeah. and that's So
0: good. So but it was basically the John Wick episode. <laughs> he kind of was, wasn't it? Because he didn't... Did he take... I don't think he took his fucking vaporising rifle in with him, did he? No, he did not. And I think that's like... That's a real good strong point of this.
1: They don't... Because we're so used in Star Wars to our main characters being overpowered gods because they're usually Jedis. And I think it's only really like episode four where it's just Luke with a blaster and he kind of has a lightsaber but he doesn't really know what he's doing with it. That you you kind of get that sense of like they can be overwhelmed pretty quickly. Like they, there's most situations, the Mandalorian's on the, the back foot and they don't make him like a super competent badass. He like, like with most Mandalorians, the flamethrower was goddamn useless. It barely works. And I like that. It's a bit janky early on that. He's not just, he can't just walk into a place and shoot 20 people in the face. But no. like there's some scenes where that, it gets borderline like that. But for the most part, they're showing like he's
0: just trying his best with what he's got. He's just very good at what he does, but he is still mortal, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that really helps with his characterization that he's not just, you know, he's not Neo. He's not just walking into this situation. He's automatically the best at everything he does. I like the fact that he usually ends
0: up on his ass at some point yes but like he gets overpowered by the mudhorn in episode two like yeah he gets but he gets bettered by a beast so how is he going to stand up stormtrooper as it turns out with the right resolve he can do it
1: exactly i think that really helps like i said because he doesn't really have dialogue to go off that's the thing that helps build his his character really well so we escape. He gets him out of the Empire's hands, and he gets onto the Razor Crest. I wouldn't. First of all, the Razor Crest is available as a Lego set. And although I promised myself I only have two more Lego sets of Star Wars left to buy—an AT-AT and a Clone Dropship—I might now extend that to three because I kind of want the Razor Crest. It wasn't in the big scene at the end of uh, *Rise of Skywalker*, was it?
0: It probably was. It was in probably in the background, like how hey, like the ghost from Rebels is definitely yeah. in there and all that.
1: I'll have to look that up. Um, but yeah, I kind of want that Lego. Anyway, um, so then you get on to episode four, which is another strong contender for my favourite one. This is one of the, the bottle episodes in the middle we were talking about.
0: The Bryce Dallas Howard episode.
1: Yes. Yeah. Sanctuary!
0: <laughs> um, that introduce um, uh,
1: Carver Carvajune. Carajune uh, introduces her character in this uh, part. The So basically, he goes to... He, he, You've seen these episodes if you've seen these kind of like Western type of things. He goes into a peaceful village that's being beset by bandits and in exchange for shelter and and help and all that good stuff, he's going to help fight off the bandits. It's cookie, cookie cooker. Any type of TV show like this has this type of episode. Um, It's not nothing new. The thing I appreciated most about this, and it kind of goes into a lot of scenes, including that Sandcrawler one. It makes... Something that we're very used to in Star Wars, it kind of it, it repurposes it for something that isn't a Jedi. So, in this, the main problem is an ATST that these rebels have. Now, the ATST is the stupid chicken walker that most things can blow up and it's not really a problem. Yeah, this you even episode... you make paste out of them in Jedi Fallen Order on the regular. Exactly, they're not that much of a problem. Like, and again, that's because we're usually dealing with Jedi's or at least people who have access to X Wings. This episode makes an
0: ATST scary. Yeah, it really does. Especially cuz it's been modified with all that red fucking lighting and the different Yeah. They give it like angry eyes, which is so cool.
1: Like and I think that's a really good it's a good omen for going forward in that they can like obviously it's not not, not cheap to do an ATST, but it's good that you don't need to do massive pitch battles like you do in the movies with starfighters and ground units and all that good stuff and thousands of troops all it needed was one atst to make a really good threat that you're like oh that could kill everybody no problem yeah and same thing with the sand crawler like we only really see that in episode four and it's just the thing the jawas drive around in it's good that it gave it like it made it tactile he's climbing on the side of this thing and you see like it's got little compartments the jawas can open it's got guns on it it's got uh, everything that's a good that's good going forward because there's so many things you could do that with. Like you could do that with an ATAT. You could do that with just one droid tank that they find like a remnant of and they they repair them. Even if you've got like five battle droids, you could redeem them really easily in one of the future episodes. Mm. And I think that's the best omen I have going forward that again, to reiterate, they made the useless chicken walker, a terrifying threat for the Mandalorian to deal with.
0: (laughs) Yep it's uh, it's so well put together in the terms of the the scaling down i guess without losing any sense of peril mm-hmm. and and i think because because it's a mandalorian warrior and it's not a jedi it's not somebody although yeah baby yoda is intensely powerful when it needs to be it's a bit it can get a little bit deus ex machinery, but i can really excuse it when it's this well achieved Mainly because everything feels like you're on a knife's edge the entire time. Like The Mandalorian can probably deal with this, but also like because in that episode they try to make like a pit trap for it, don't they? Yeah. And it doesn't fucking work. Like you think that the you think you know exactly how that episode's going to go. Oh, they get into the trap. They have the big fight. Mandalorian delivers a speech. They win. Yeah. No, doesn't happen first thing they see the pit and then they immediately start firing yeah like oh shit okay and you're on the back foot and i really appreciate that it's brilliant yeah it's it's and but that episode also
1: like from a character point of view is really good because that's when we first start to see like he doesn't have to be the upfront bounty hunter like he is in the first few episodes the mandalorian can kind of be more you know um he's guard's down a little bit in this one so he, he starts to talk about it's, it's fitting in the backstory basically of what happened to him who he is what the mandalorian stands for etc et so that's why i think that's that probably is my favorite episode um it's definitely the best of the three standalone ones not saying that episode six the prisoner isn't pretty good as well
0: oh yeah i forgot about this one yeah so this is the um this is the one that's written by Christopher Yost, who's done a bunch of Marvel stuff as well. Ah. So, found that really interesting, and it's directed by um, what's his name, Rick Famuyiwa, I think yes. that's his name. Yeah, and his his stuff tends to be really fucking good. So, I was like, this was a fantastic combination. Bear in mind, Christopher Yost is the guy who did um, script work alongside Taika Waititi for Thor Ragnarok. Ah, so dude's got some good stuff under his belt. Um. Yeah, and this this is the weird cast episode, but it works so goddamn well. Like, yeah, I didn't think a combination of Moss from the Office, the Kurgan, and Bill Burr would work. I know. <laughs>
1: but they they make it work. Oh, it's mad. Yeah, the uh, top it off, they've got the old guy from Sons of Anarchy as like the the um, the person putting the job together. It's mad. So this is basically what if Star Wars did Suicide Squad. it really is isn't it and did it better than the suicide squad um so they send um the mandalorian in with this kind of rickety crew of nerd dwells into um a republic prisonership to kind of break out um someone who's going to pay them a lot of money if they do so um turns out to be a bit of a setup because this is a guy that um well this i didn't really get what had previously happened with the Mandalorian and the guy they were going to save, or at least I forgot what it was. Um, but they've had a running before when they were part of the same crew, I think. Mm. And basically the the guy they go to save just double crossing the Mandalorian boots him into a cell. And that was the first of many mistakes that he made. Um <laughs> and it just it then just becomes like it, it becomes like almost like a diehard movie that they're all locked in this same space. It's like the raid, basically. They're all locked in the same space and it's the, the robots that are patrolling the ship The ship's like human um, Guards The pirate crew And uh, and the Mandalorian all versus each other yeah. So it's very claustrophobic But it kind of works And it's, it's Oh there's so many good parts of it There's it, it's, it's good to see the Mandalorian be like a team player And see some team stuff And then just see it flip when he's then going like, to Go and get his revenge Or being chucked in a cell um,
0: <laughs> yeah, it becomes a little bit predator esque then.
1: A little bit. Like, I wouldn't want to fight him, and he does a great job. It's just him using his ingenuity, again, fleshing out that character with a lot of dialogue, showing ingenuity of him getting out of this situation and kind of recapturing it. I like that it's left vague whether he kills them all right yeah. until the end when it's kind of revealed that
0: no, he just captured them and chucked them in a cell. Because you, you think that's the way it's going, because the way that the, the episode's cut is that like he has his confrontation with each of this gang member, and then you never see them again. Nope. You're like, oh, fuck, okay, he is murdering his way back to his baby. I love it.
1: But then shows that he's actually not that bad, and uh, he's, uh, he's changed a little bit. However, it does end with him basically calling in uh, a fleet of X-Wings to blow up this ship. That um the guy who dropped him in the prison cell is on. So, you know, he's not he's not completely good. Um uh, but <laughs> yeah. he's still a bit of a bastard.
0: Well, I think that it just further serves the character to be morally ambiguous. He's he's happy to, you know, be human up to a point where it goes too far and he feels like feels like he has to get revenge and preserve what he knows to be yep. his essentials and you know. By that point, the child is, is something that he's like, he doesn't even want people to see it because he knows that people are tracking him. Mm-hmm. So when when he goes onto the ship and the little cute booger presses the button and exposes himself to the entire crew, he's like, oh, fuck, okay, right. Okay, I'm gonna, This is going to end one of two ways, isn't it? Mm. I,
1: I do like the little things, like the little bit of slapstick comedy they do with like the baby Yoda pressing buttons. And not nearly crashing the ship it happens like twice it happens in like the first that episode four it happens when he's just hitting the little button and and mando has to keep tending not to and then puts him back in his crib and then it happens in i think the either the final episode of the one before where he tries to basically hits the wrong button and almost crashes the ship yeah that's (laughs) pretty good i've completely got the end of episode three so you have all that claustrophobic action of him breaking the baby out and then he gets onto the street where um Carl Weathers' his Bounty Hunter clan are trying to stop him from escaping. And then the Mandalorians turn up, all of them. And we have this <laughs> mad pitch battle between like the Mandalorians and
0: the Bounty Hunters, which is pretty cool as well. They have their f- phone everyone moment in the third episode, which is brave.
1: It is. Uh, right, So then, that's kind of the end of the bottle episodes. Then we get back to um, the actual story. Um, he goes back. He's basically summoned back to Navarro by Carl Weathers who is basically saying like he wants to do a truce. He wants them to come here because the empire has taken hold of the city they were in. Um, so he has to go and gather um the people he's met along the way. So he goes and gets um, Cara Dune. He goes and gets uh, Quill, uh who has reprogrammed the IG-88 droid at this point.
0: Um, to... Oh yeah. Cause he just cold cocks that fucking thing in the first episode. <laughs> yes, he does.
1: Because he's out to kill the baby. Like they, they're they on the same mission, but whereas the Mandalorian has a change of heart about what to do about the baby, um, IG, IG-11 is out to kill it. He's yeah. now been reprogrammed to be a nurse droid, which is good. Um, they kind of gather their forces, and it's kind of... Again, it's the scrappy band of bandits trying to stop a new strengthened empire because they found him in re- reinforcements. Mm. Um, this is where you get introduced to... Because, like, Werner Herzog is, like, your entry-level bad guy for the Empire. It's at this point that I knew shit was going wrong because a TIE fighter lands with cool foley wings, which I didn't know they had. Yeah. And out pops Moth Gideon Played by What's-His-Face from Breaking Bad And I was like, G- oh no
0: <laughs> Yeah, Giancarlo Esp- Esposito Oh
1: god, it's Gus from Breaking Bad This yeah. is bad When oh, Gus no.
0: arrives, you're in for a series of yeah, hell some-
1: <laughs> Something bad's gonna happen So he's kind of your like more uh, Hardline Empire person Who's not gonna like try and pay you money And do things fairly He's just going to shoot you With his big, impressive gun uh, It's not a sexy thing I mean, not yet. I mean, it is sexy, but it's not a sex thing. Um, (laughs) That's where you kind of get the last episode is is a bit of a standoff. Um, I I don't want to go into heavy spoilers in case people have listened this far and don't, you know, haven't seen all of it. Yeah, but um, he's trying to recapture the child and the Mandalorians. Not got a lot of options of how to stop that. Um, It. I like this episode. I think there's some really good bits. So um, at the end of the last episode two stormtroopers kill queel who had the baby and was taking it back to the ship and have possession of the baby mm. um ig11 turns up to save him and then yeah. rides into town on a speed bike shooting fucking everything <laughs> it's so
0: good especially because they're having that like That standoff scene Where like Moff Gideon is just monologuing At the Mandalorian And then all of a sudden A screaming fucking robot On the back of a speeder Wearing Baby Yoda on his chest And just firing everywhere Breaks that scene in two It's so good
1: So fucking good And that's when we get the band back together They go into the sewers They're finding that the Mandalorians were wiped out by the Empire And that kind of causes um Mando to be like, right? No, I'm. They've killed my brothers. Essentially, I'm staying here. We're not going to escape quietly. I'm going to tell them. I think I've just skipped over a very important bit. That was two things that happened in the final episode. That I was a bit like, meh. So up until this point, he hasn't taken the helmet off. He hasn't. And I thought we were going to do Judge Dredd. I was like, fantastic. Let's let's keep it on him and all that stuff because he's not meant to show his face to a living being. But then he gets shot during the kind of um, blitz just after IG-11 turns up. Uh He tells everyone else, he tells Carl Weathers and Carver June to run, take the baby, John and save it, get back to the ship. Um And IG-11 stays with him and says, I'm not living, I can take it off. And I was like, oh, don't do it. And then it, it, the Mandalorian puts up a bit of a fight. And then when the droid says, I'm not alive, he doesn't even try. He's like, yeah, fine, straight off with that. I was like yeah. oh I know he's a handsome bugger but I don't want to see his face
0: I, I get why they did it though because you then learn about how he became a Mandalorian warrior and you yeah. learn about his backstory as I think it's Din Djarin, is that his name? I think the end a bit right yeah so like he's he was a child that was saved from a purge by jetpacked Mandalorian warriors mm-hmm. and then he joined the creed from there and took the oath and I think that's just so fucking cool It's so good And I don't even mind that they broke The Mandalorian doesn't take his helmet off Just for that scene Because we've had it now Which means we don't need it next season So I'm happy for that
1: Yeah, we've proved that it was um... Oh my god, I forgot his name Um, We've proved it is Pedro Pascal We haven't just got a man um, To walk around doing all his stuff for (laughs) Imagine if he only turned up for one day of filming (laughs) Yeah, that was it That was literally the only time he was on set To be lying down and have his helmet whipped off by a robot um, so that was good And then um, that's when we basically We go to the Armourer Who's the last of the Mandalorians there And she's like Mandalorians is all right. I'm going to stay and fight I'm going to take him on And she's like no That child is near part of your clan They get the uh, Mudhorn as their logo and Yeah says, that, is near your, that is your guild That is essentially your son And you have two options One of which I really like One of which I don't The first one she's like you have to introduce it into a way of life. And I'm like, Yoda is a Mandalorian? Fuck yes. That <laughs> yeah. helmet with the ears? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I want these to be metal. I don't want them to be sticking at the side. I want them to have a helmet crafted for him. That'd be fucking cool. I'm like, Jesus, they'd be unstoppable. um he says, oh, the alternative is, you've got to go and take it back to its people. And that's when I was like, "Hey, that's we've left that rock unturned for 35 years for a reason, and I'm not i don't know if i'm keen on
0: flipping it over like i wouldn't be surprised if that's the entire point though is that that he's going right i'm taking this thing home and it is very much going to be baked into the canon of the universe of we don't know where this thing is from i would like to think that that's what it's going to do
1: that's that seems like they're saying that's what this the mystery of season two is going to be of him trying to find because i guess the ending wrong i thought we would hand the the child off at the end of this season, and then that would be it. I didn't think the child would be, um, like the secondary character essentially going forward. I was convinced a shuttle would land, another Yoda would walk out, take possession of the child, like basically the end of ET, and then would just fly off. And yeah. I'd be like, fine. That means we're gonna have a different dynamic for whatever season two is, and then I don't know. The baby Yoda just goes away. Maybe you can pop him up at some point because obviously they want that merch money. I didn't think they'd go this route of it. like, no, he's sticking around for the foreseeable future, which was surprising. I'm um, just, I know, I know it's Star Wars down being like, no, but they've kept it secret. And the problem is, wouldn't you then introduce more of it, if you get to his home planet and see lots of Yodas and Yaddles? That kind of ruins the specialness of them only being three. It's like when they went to Kashik, and like you see thousands of Wookies, and I mean Chewie's still great, but it mean it kind of lost a little something i mean going to is a great planet and you know he's got great designs and all that stuff but kind of takes the edge off and particularly but they weren't shy about what chewie was he was a wookiee i've been very shy about what yoda is and i don't know if i'm ready to rip that band-aid off if they do it well they do it well fantastic but i i don't know
0: i i just don't see them doing that I, i think it is going to be more of a case of We're going to try and find the answers. And when there is no answer, when there is, yeah, we can't tell you where this comes from. There was once like one like him called Yoda, who's now passed on. Mm -hmm. We can't give you any more information. Maybe you have an episode where you go to Dagobah and you find out that that is absolutely not where they're from. And then then the dynamic changes again. It's like, well, I failed in the mission to return it to its kind. I will succeed in the mission of passing on the creed i think Ah, that's where it's going
1: i see the thing is that um oh my god what was i going to say um that maybe makes more sense because then you don't rip the bandit off you don't like kind of take the specialness off of the baby yoda and then you can make that character something different from what yoda was something i wish they would have picked on a bit more I wish they'd kind of shown that the Empire has suppressed or changed history whilst it was, you know, the height of what it was doing. Because I'm like, I feel like Jedi's are pretty well known in the universe. And therefore, I don't know where everyone's like, what the hell is that thing? When the head of the Jedi Council for about 700 years was that. You know what I mean? Like, how is everyone clueless about this? I know it's, they're dealing with the galaxy. But Jedi is one of the universal things that seemed, everyone seemed to know about. So I would have thought everyone knew about Yoda. I hope there'd been like a plot of where they say, well, the Empire suppressed that information. They they cut off, you know, they removed all the text about who the Jedi were, who Yoda was, and systematically kind of wrote the Jedi into folklore, which is kind of what we get in episode seven of them not being entirely sure if Jedi's are real and only hearing the stories of Luke. As opposed to, I'm just like, well, why does no one have good memories? There's people who are older than when the Empire first rose up and remember the new, like the Republic days. Why does no one know where the fuck Yoda is?
0: Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? Especially since Yoda has been around for fucking donkey's years before yeah. the events of episode one as well. And you would think that at no point anybody asked him where he was from just seems a bit strange.
1: I think that bit I'm kind of okay with. It's just like, well, why? I get why they did it because it adds to the mystery, but I'm like, why does no one say Yoda? Surely someone somewhere can say, well, that kind of looks like Yoda who used to be the head of the Jedis. And then that at least would have been a spark of like, right, okay, we know there's others of these species. Someone somewhere must know where they're from. And that then sets you off for season two. But I think I'm getting a bit too bogged down now.
0: Yeah, there's it's one of those, isn't it? And I don't, I think if you get too bogged down in, well, how exactly does this law click together without realizing that, that, you know, Star Wars is a secondhand franchise. Now it's now Mm -hmm. being handled. It's completely out of the hands of its original creators. And that has been for the better and for the worse in many different ways. I think by treating it with the level of reverence that it's been given in this series, It can't go wrong Like I say, explaining exactly what Yoda is Is Too much of a step in the direction of There must be an answer for every question Okay. Even the ones That Lucas didn't Answer specifically That kind of feels like that's a bit too A bit too hardline I think, a bit too going to the fans and going You had this question, we're going to answer it It doesn't make good mystery And it doesn't make good TV That's why I genuinely think it's not going there good but
1: i feel like we got i feel like i've just turned into that star wars fan for a second there and i apologize for that (laughs) um we're gonna back up on that immediately so the other thing we get from the armor as well as this is what you're gonna do david get the fucking jetpack yep wait the whole goddamn season for this man to fly and he becomes the first person to ever well first mandalorian we've ever seen to competently use a jetpack
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he really does.
1: He didn't immediately cannon into the side of a, a, a crevice or anything. So this thing, again, of taking just one thing, you took one sand crawler and made it a big deal. You took one ats and made it a big deal. You took one TIE fighter and made it the scariest thing possible. Yeah. And he only just about had it. So that scene, preceded by the weird scene of the R2-D2 unit with arms and legs, which I didn't need. <laughs> yeah, no, I was um, not all right with that. Fucking wrong. It's, him doing his best to fight a Tie Fighter, and it's just a great scene of him jumping up, getting his uh, the the lasso thing onto it, and then just being pulled rein by this thing. I did think, right? Why doesn't um Gus from Breaking Bad just immediately just turn up and goes towards space where he can breathe? But I'm pretty sure the Mandalorian can't.
0: Yeah, a bit of a bit of a logic hole there. I isn't know, it? I know.
1: But uh, yep, yeah, blows up the Tie Fighter. Happy days. Uh, and then decides he's going to take off with the child, whilst uh, uh, Karga and Dune stay there on the planet. Um, and then also in like the, the, it's not an end credit scene; is it? it happens just before that. Uh it turns out that Ghost from Breaking Bad has the goddamn dark saber. Now yeah. I haven't watched enough of Rebels to realize the significance of that, but I know it's bad.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's the Mandalorian lightsaber, and that's a big fucking deal because that oh. that implies that. Uh, Gideon was there. He was there at the siege of Mandalore. He, mm-hmm. if he wasn't the person that took the dark saber, he knows the person who did, and that's fucking big for this character, especially for um, Dinjarin, who is now you know one of the last few of this creed, one of the last few of this race, because the Mandalorians don't turn up in the sequel trilogy at all. So, oh. what the fuck happens next is the big question leading on from there.
1: Exactly. So the episode of the Clone Wars focus on the Siege of Mandalore will be... Oh, well, Today, as you're listening to this, it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Um, so, got, they're really doubling down, I think, at this point. Now, obviously they couldn't have foreseen when they'd greenlit both this and the Clone Wars the, the great positive reaction they're going to have. Which may have actually played into more of why they've renewed this for Season 3 before Season 2's even it. Yeah. Um, but I think, like I said, overall... As a first foray into live-action Star Wars TV show, not including the Ewoks movies, um, this, I, I don't know if it could have gone much better. It wasn't what I expected, I must say, but as a as a flag to plant down and say this is what we're going to be doing going forward with Star Wars TV shows, I am more than happy if this is, if we don't have movies for a while, which is the big hope, I'm happy this is how Star Wars is going to be trundled along for the foreseeable future.
0: Oh, Christ, yeah. Between this and Fallen Order um star wars is at its strongest when it's not in a film right now yeah. which is really weird to say out loud but it's true we've i mean i didn't mind the rise of skywalker as and neither did you as we said in our review but we did not like solo and we did not like the last jedi so you know if if the last good thing we had in terms of star wars films was rogue one and then now we are finally in a rapturous state of enjoying star wars again between this and fallen order yeah let's go back to what it was when me and you were in our teen years and that's how star wars was being kept alive tv cartoons video games for some reason the the most amount of like progression and you know making this series more than just the you know the fantasy knights and wizards with laser swords making it fleshing out the universe fuck it go for it it's worked so well And I do want to call specific um, Attention to The music by Ludwig Goransson Because fuck it's so good Right That opening scene that... <clears throat> just...
1: Oh Oh it's good
0: yeah, it's, when you, the... it's when you get to see the concept art At the end of the episodes And that music goes from that <clears throat> To a 90 fucking piece orchestra It's so fucking good it was it was
1: um yeah, there's everything production wise the scripting was really good it's just there's nothing else like that they've said that I-, I could see them using this as like a platform for them to start seeding in other universe characters that people want to see into this so they've already kind of said that um oh my god what is her name rosario dawson who i'm not a particular fan of maybe playing ahsoka tano in season
0: two yeah that that's got me worried that's got me mm. real worried. Mm-hmm.
1: I could see them finding a way because I mean they happen at roughly the same time. Uh, but actually, no, they don't. They happen at a completely different times. They could put Cal Kestis into this from Fallen Order.
0: If, if, well, that's the thing because I'm assuming there's going to be a follow up to that game. Oh, I'm God, assuming, yeah, yeah. and we and we know that Cal Kestis is set between three and four. Yeah. So he could if he survived the events of four through six, yeah, he could turn up. Yeah. What I think is more likely is you're gonna get cameos from rebels because rebels is set between six and seven. Yeah. I, I think that is what we're going for. So like that could be that could be anybody. I mean, I think I think it's Freddie Prince Jr. who voices Kanan Jarrus. He could turn up. Although they do seem to be recasting those because in the in Rebels and... Fucking what's it called? Clone Wars. Yeah, Ahsoka Tano is voiced by somebody else. And I can't remember who that is. I'm going to look on Wikipedia. <laughs> Give me two seconds. Uh, Ashley Eckstein is the yep. voice. Um, but now it's Rod- Rosario Dawson completely. I'm, I'm worried about those recastings. But if this is the team that's handling it, in theory, right now, I trust them to do it. They
1: have faith for now to do this but yeah i i think there's there's infinite because i mean there's so much backstory they could just there's so much of stuff they cut that they could then bring back in for the mandalorian and repurpose because i don't want it to be mostly about the empire i don't think that's really got legs i think you either need um a brand new threat or you could even really have it start to be the threads of what becomes the first order and you start planting that in here that could be interesting. That could um, be really
0: interesting, yeah.
1: yeah. There's so many options, because thankfully they've given themselves quite a clean slate. There's not that much stuff set between six and seven. So they really have got just open terrain to do whatever they want with it, really. So I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I think, I mean, Obi-Wan seems to be having a bit more problems in that they've gone back to the scripting stage on it, even though they had started filming, apparently. mm so that's a bit more worrisome, but um, that one always was going to be a bit more finite. They've got they've got more um, restrictions on what they can do because obviously, Obi Wan Kenobi, we know so much about him. They're, they're they're dealing with you know he's got different problems than what this has. Whereas this has infinite opportunity, and therefore you know they they've, they've really got to hold themselves back to not go too mad with it. Obi Wan has different problems. That's worrying, but. Uh, Like I said, in terms of a first punt out, I don't think it could have been much better.
0: Yeah, it went so fucking well. I'm so happy that this is the style of stuff we're going to get. We're going to get something that feels fresh, that feels interesting, that fleshes out the lore in an approachable way. I loved it so much. It was just such a good combination of things. And I would... Thank God we had John Favreau at the head of this. I -hmm. feel like that was the glue that kept everything together. Not that everything was falling apart, but... He's worked on some fucking good stuff, and this is just another one of those incredible projects to his name.
1: Who knew that the second guy from Swingers was going to be the savior of so many things? <laughs> yeah,
0: he started the MCU. He's coming to save Star Wars. Chef was good. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> fuck, dude can't do any wrong. I know. I mean,
1: I, uh, Lion King wasn't the greatest, but I mean, I respect him for trying. Jungle Book. Uh, Jungle Book was good. Okay, I'll give him Jungle Book, but uh there we are. Plug away,
0: Michael You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and at that Mogoing. You can follow Darren on Twitter and Instagram and at the Gutridge. You can go and follow the sites on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the username t that's F O U L E N T. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you can get your RSS feeds under the username FoulieNT or FoulieNT Podcasts. That was a perfect read, Darren. <laughs> I did it. It was well done one take. Holy shit. Um so next week is a pitch episode. Um it's going to be pitch a horror movie. I uh, hope you're looking forward to that. That's a that was a really challenging one. It was the episode we recorded before this for a bit of behind the scenes stuff. Um it was a really challenging episode. I think it was a, another close fought battle. I really enjoyed it. Um, And beyond that, we are working on more pitches. So we're taking a look at the female superhero movie. We're hoping to Christ something comes out that we can talk about because movies just aren't fucking happening.
1: Well, we have got the Xbox Series X reveal happening, and it seems to be a pretty substantive thing. So there's hope that we'll have something to chat about there, and that might then scare Sony into going, oh, fuck, Uh, we're releasing a new console in, uh, well, Potentially less than six months. And all we've done is shown a blog post
0: of what the controller looks like. We may want to pull our finger out. <laughs> they um, might want so to. Oh, you, think... then... on, sorry. <laughs> you forget in the uh, press conference they had to show off the PS5 logo, which is exactly how you'd think it looked. Jesus Christ. So they are resting
1: on their rolls a bit too much. So hopefully this is actually going to create a bit of a snowball effect that also kicked Nintendo's ass into gear to go... Oh, shit, we've got to tell him that we're doing something. Um, mate, <laughs> yeah. look, look busy, look busy. Because um, um, they still haven't dated Pokemon's DLC yet, have they?
0: Nope. I think it's by the end of July for part one and by the end of October for part two, I think. Because I need it. I've, pl-
1: I've just done a Nuzlocke playthrough of Pokemon Sword. <laughs> nice. So I, I need new content now. I've got three save games that can all benefit from that DLC, so I can, oh, I can just
0: hoover up new Pokémon. It's going to be magnificent. Nice. Right then, I think that's a good place to call it. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Popscorn, and we will see you the next time something goddamn releases. Bye, everybody!
1: Bye!